Welcome to the Raw Show with me, Michael McDonnell, and I have a very special guest. We have John with us today, who started off as a civil servant, and he moved through a lot of businesses, moving from running student websites to selling mobile phone insurance, tried to to run as many businesses as possible, but he now describes himself as a lazy entrepreneur and investor that now runs sports betting. He's got a property small, he's got a property business and he also runs a small business mentoring company. And his best-selling book, Big Ideas for Small Businesses, is making a, a big difference to a lot of entrepreneurs' lives. So, John, thanks for joining us today. Hey, glad, glad to be here, Michael. Really good. Uh, looking forward to this. All right, excellent. So, to give to give listeners a bit of context and, I guess, a starting point, would you be able to to tell the listeners your your background, where where you were born, what was it like for you growing up, and just to give people a, an idea of where you've been? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I was born in the late seventies here in Plymouth. Um, you could probably tell from the accent that I'm not from the home counties. I'm not a BBC trained journalist. Um, you know, there was a little bit of a piratey lilt to the accent there. Um, yeah, spent all my life in the West Country. Um, grew up, dad was an electrician. Mum was a housewife. And so the natural um, upbringing for um, a dot-com entrepreneur. Uh, but I remember certainly as a kid, I always wanted to be rich. I always wanted to make a lot of money. Um, didn't particularly care what that was doing. I just knew that I wanted to be rich. And I remember having a chat with a careers officer. Um, so this would have been sort of during secondary school. And, right. and them saying to me, right, you know, you fill out this, um, this questionnaire, mm-hmm. you know, 100 questions, determine what your personality type is, what sort of uh, job is right for you. Because of course, Schools can only teach you how to do jobs. And it came out that I should either be a judge uh, or I should work in marketing. And I said, right, well, I, don't, I don't fancy the judge much. Uh, <laughs> I like the sound of this marketing um, thing. What, what do I need to do to do marketing? And the careers teacher said to me, oh, you'll have to move to London if you want to do that. Uh, we, they don't do that in Plymouth. <laughs> this was, right. So this would have been, what, the early 90s. Um, yeah, they didn't do marketing in Plymouth, apparently. Um, so I said, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I just want to make a lot of money. I want to do well. He said, oh, well, civil service, that's, that's a nice, safe, secure job. Um, you know, you, you can work in an office. You'll be absolutely fine on that. Um, so that, that's how I ended up. I planned on doing a, um, oh, a GNVQ, I think it was, on business studies. And during the summer break, I went and got a, what I thought was going to be a temporary job at the local job center. I was in there every day looking for work. And eventually the girl behind the desk said, you're in here every day. Uh, We've got a role at the moment for a trainee admin assistant or something like that. Why don't you come in and do it? I said, well, I'm only here for, I think it was like, I had about 10 weeks with the exam leave over the summer holidays. I said, yeah, I'm only here for 10 weeks. So that's fine. She said, we we don't particularly care. (laughs) Um, come along. So I did that. And within about two weeks of doing that, I realized that I did not want to go back to school. Um, all the jobs, cause my, my, my role within this, within the job center was to come up, look at all the vacancies that were coming in and put them up on the jobs board. 
So I could right, see okay. all these employers were coming in. They were talking to me, saying what they wanted from their employees. And none of them wanted this business studies qualification that I was after. They all wanted experience. They all wanted people who had actually done something with their lives. So I quit school and I said, right, I'm going to do this full time. I'm going to be a civil servant because, of course, my, my parents were very happy about this um, because they, as far as they were concerned, civil service equals a nice, safe, secure job with yep. a fantastic pension at the end of it. <laughs> it was all they ever wanted from there from their third born child. Um, so that's, that's how I ended up in the civil service. Um, I spent about six years in there doing various things. We, so I worked in the job center. I worked for the benefits agency. I spent a couple of years uh, driving around Plymouth actually. So any, if you, anyone claimed benefits in Plymouth in the mid nineties, you probably would have had a knock on the door from me and I'm, I probably would have sat on your couch and drank your cup of tea. Uh, <laughs> Did that for a few years. I absolutely loved doing that. And eventually, in about year 2000, I think it was 99 or 2000, um, the civil service, in their wisdom, regraded my job and told me I was no longer qualified to do the job that I've been doing for the previous two and a half years. Um, so I ended up getting a transfer to a different department, um, which I hated, absolutely hated with a passion. Oh. Um, you know, it was... Honestly, I've never had a job where I have clocked watch so much. You, you know, I'm quite used to. I was a former civil servant. I was quite used to clock watching. Mm, but yeah. in this particular role, I would clock watch from the minute I got in there. I'd, I'd we'd work one in the afternoon till nine at night, and by quarter past one, I was ready for a break. Um, it was a horrendous work. Um, the stress levels were just unbelievable um <laughs> i'd actually <laughs> give up smoking about seven months before i started this job right and two weeks of being there i was back smoking again um, <laughs> wow well i'd love to say that was down to the stress but i think it was actually down to the fact that if you smoked you got a five minute break in the morning and a five minute break in the afternoon and i just figured well actually that's 50 minutes a week i don't need to sit at my desk yeah <laughs> The more breaks, the merrier. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. And the, you know, trust me, as a, as a civil servant, you do count every single minute. Mm. Um, and I think around about this time, so this would have been 2000, I'd started there. Right. And I, I knew within two or three weeks of joining, so literally as soon as I finished the training, I knew this, I, I couldn't stick this job out for long. Um, I think the average length of time that people stay in this role I was in was about two years um which when you think i'd been in my previous role there'd been people there who'd been there for 20 years um i'm still friends with a guy there now actually so he's been there for 40 years um yet in this current role i was in two years was the average life expectancy um and so i <laughs> i just remember thinking i absolutely hated it and the press at the time was full of um guys like uh brent holdman and martha lane fox the guys who founded uh, lastminute.com it was full right. of .com people it was full of larry and sergey from google it was full of these 20 year old kids same age i was at the time who had an idea and they just said you know what i'm going to do something on the internet all you need is an idea and then these guys were becoming millionaires overnight they were literally someone would just write them a check so i thought 
yeah, I could do that. I've got ideas. You know, yes, I'm a civil servant, but by the sounds of it, this is really easy because that's that's how it was made it sound. You know, this was the it was the height of the dot com boom in right. Got you. Late night, late you know, late nineties, early two thousands. VC firms were throwing money at dot com companies who didn't need to make any money. They just needed an idea, a business model, and they were having money thrown at them. So I thought, that's brilliant. I'll just do that. So there was only one slight problem with that, which was that I didn't actually know anything about marketing mm. and I didn't know anything about running a business and I didn't have internet access um, because I didn't even own a computer. So I was going to okay. be a millionaire um, despite not knowing how to run a business or even having access to the internet. Yeah. <laughs> it must've been hard. It's a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a, um, dilemma but i did manage to work my way around that by borrowing a computer from my in-laws so um well they weren't my in-laws at the time it was my girlfriend's parents at the time and i went around there and i literally said can i borrow your internet connection can i borrow your computer and they said yep of course you can as long as you pay for it because they were on free serves um pay as you go internet um literally you know they were um, so I just noticed there's something in the background there. Um, yeah, they were literally um, paying per minute for that time. And I remember thinking, you know, yes, I'll reimburse you for that. And I remember there's a famous quote from my, who is now my mother-in-law. And I actually used it in the book. And I, she said to me, or she, no, she didn't say to me, she said to my wife, she said, why is John wasting his time and money on this internet thing? He's never going to make a success of it. It's never going to work. Why is he wasting his time? And I still remind her of that today. I think barely a week goes by when I don't remind her of that time that she said, why is he wasting his time on this? (laughs) Here we are now, 20 years later, you know, living the dream. Um, And it's all thanks to that, that perseverance, I think, back in the very, very early days when I literally didn't know what I was doing. It is, it is interesting when you say that though because even now as you say i mean we're looking 20 years from from that point and that there are people that, that still have that have that conversation with with their you know older peers or family or friends they still have this this conversation even now of you know well, yeah. why are you doing this internet thing exactly and it's it's very hard when you don't know what you're doing and you're not seeing any progress. You're not actually getting there. It's very hard to persevere. And I think it was only really the, because I hated my job so much and I saw the internet as my only way out. Yes. I, yeah, I was applying for other jobs, um, you know, within the council and within the civil service at the time. Um, we were planning on getting married the following year. We were planning on buying a house. So pressure was on. You know, I, I was the main earner. Sarah was a student still at the time. So it was, it was up to me to be the breadwinner for, a couple, for the next couple of years. So the pressure was really on. But yeah, if I hadn't have really, really hated my job, I probably would have given up. You know, I probably would have said, no, it's not going to work. I am wasting my time on this. It's not working. But I, I saw little, little slithers of potential success 
you know i'd see actually i'm getting some traffic to a website um i'm getting some clicks from the home page to a secondary page i'm getting people giving me their email address you know and then eventually oh i've i've earned 27 cents from some get paid to surf program that i was hawking at the time yeah um, yeah you know it, it was really really small victories um the key one for me was about nine months in so i'd started in the august of 2000 and by april 2001 um i'd actually earned enough money to get my first check from this business so we were working at a time with affiliate networks and one of these affiliate networks sent me a check for some real actual money um right wow and that was for 13 pounds and 51 pence and i i really wish i'd framed that check now because it would take pride of place on the office wall because whilst it was a pittance and that was the grand sum of nine months work for me um because literally i was working I'd do eight hours in the day job. I'd come home and I'd probably do six to eight hours on my business. Right. In the evening and the following morning. I'd work weekends. You know, I, w- I would literally, if I wasn't working the day job, I was working my business. I was, I was a hustler. I was a grinder. I was working 100-hour weeks just to get it working. And as a result of those probably, you know, a couple of thousand hours, I had 13 pounds and 51 pence to show for it. Right. But I, remember, I remember being so proud at the time because to me that proved the model. I just needed to increase the numbers. I just needed right, got you. To that 30, yeah, 13 pounds 51 from nine months work. Right. If I could, mm-hmm. if I could turn that into 13 pounds 51 for a month's work, that's huge progress. Then if I can turn Definitely. it to 13 pounds 51 a week, even more 13 pounds 51 a day, 13 pounds 51 an hour. You know, that, that was just, right, okay, I've proven the model. I just need to scale it up. Now. I just need the numbers to be bigger. Um, and the foundations were laid in those first nine months. The following five months, I went from that first check, £13.51, up to probably earning about 300 to £500 pounds a month. So big acceleration there from zero, yeah. zero to 13 quid took nine months, 13 quid to 500 quid a month took another five or six months. And then three months after I went part-time at the day job and I was actually able to focus two days a week. Well, actually I was working weekends as well. So four days a week on my business full-time plus part-time hours. And so I was effectively working the business full-time from September, it then took three months before I was actually able to fully replace my income and quit the day job. Um, so yeah, from from April, I earned £13.51, the December I handed my notice in, um, in the day job. That was the how rapid that, that acceleration was. Now, a lot of that was down to the pace of the internet because it was that was starting to mature. Um, a lot of it was down to the fact that I started knowing what I was doing. You know, when I first started out, I knew absolutely nothing. Um, I remember picking up a copy of Internet Marketing for Dummies, uh, thinking that would help me. And I remember just working through that step by step, you know, how to get people to a website, how to get people to click on stuff, learning basic copywriting skills, 
I remember working through this as though it were a workbook and a how-to manual on how I was going to quit my day job and actually run my own business and work for myself. So from there to actually I know a little bit, I managed to find myself a mentor, um, which I, I still cannot believe to this day worked because I literally went online and I found someone who was doing what I wanted to do. He was probably two years ahead of me. And I just said to him, can you tell me how to do what exactly what you do? I want, I want to copy your business model. Can you tell me how to do it, please? And he said, uh, yeah, of course I will, which I don't, I don't know if that would happen these days. Um, but he was so free with his information um, because he didn't see, he didn't have the scarcity mindset of, well, actually, if I tell John how to do it, that's going to take something away from me. He saw, actually, I want, I want to build a community here. I want people knowing, you know, I'm, I'm happy to share this knowledge. The internet is, is vast. It's an ocean. There is an ocean full of money out there, and the ocean doesn't care if you go to it with a teaspoon or a bucket. You know, you can, you can take your share of water. There's plenty left for everyone else. And he had this attitude in abundance. Um, and I think without his assistance in those early days, I certainly wouldn't have had the success I've had. I would have, I would have made a lot more mistakes. You know, I was able to just run stuff past him and say, Clark, what do you think about this? You know, I'm, I'm thinking about doing X, Y, or Z. And he would just say, no, you, no, you're wasting your time. Don't bother with that. This is what you need to do. Um, you know, I'd spot something on his website and say to him, well, why have you done this? And he'd tell me, oh, that's, I've done that because I think if I do that, the customers will behave in this way, or I've done that to build up my mailing list, or, you know, don't work with this company. They're a bunch of cowboys. And eventually he benefited from that because I then grew my business to be at first a similar size to him and then actually bigger than him, which was again very strange because he was quite proud of that because obviously he'd been instrumental in that but that meant then that I could help him I could then pay back and I, I could then give him the heads up on who to work with who not to work with latest trends within the industry everything like that but to actually think that I would have got there on my own you know I, I doubt that very much you know I, I knew nothing I knew that I knew nothing but my knowledge gap was so immense um, it was only that real determination to keep going that actually got me there, I think. Right, so there's, there's quite a lot of things that you said there that I think are quite important. I mean, you said that you knew that you knew nothing. I think that having the having that awareness of, okay, I can't do this by myself. You know, I've, I've hit my limit, I've hit my ceiling, there's just no... There's no physical way of me going further than, you know, I can do by myself. This is it. I need, I need something extra. So I think to, just to, to have that conversation with yourself, I think was definitely something that, that can be applauded. John, firstly, I think, I think that that's, that's a big step that there are so few people that, that actually make. Um, I'm, I'm curious though because you you mentioned to me that you you have run a lot of businesses um, was there a reason why you transitioned so so many times was it was it curiosity led was it things didn't work so you moved on was it 
you, you got to a certain point and thought, well, time to move on. What, what drove this idea of, of starting several businesses and what would you say was the reason why you, you, you shifted or pivoted that many times? I think, yeah, if I could sum it up in a few words, it's shiny object syndrome. It's particularly in the early days of the internet, I could have an idea on the Monday, I could get a website up on the Tuesday, and by the Wednesday I could be number one on Google and getting traffic and earning money for that idea. So the ability to actually get a business or certainly get a minimum viable product to market was so easy. It was so rapid that actually once I started having some success, I'd see other business models working elsewhere. And it's, it's always in my nature now that I, if I see a business model I like, I bank it and I, I, do, I bank the ideas. And every now and then I will just think, okay, if I meet the right person, we'll do a joint venture. We will get that business up and running. Um, in the early days, I say I've run more than 60 small businesses over the last kind of 17 years. The majority of them were in that first 10 to 12 years, I would say. The last couple of years, we've focused. We've really, really focused. We've got a sports betting company. We've got a property company. And we've got a couple of joint ventures on the side. Um, you know, there's, there's very few. Whereas if I go back probably five or six years, I was running 12 concurrent companies. You know, I was trying to do PR for the mobile phone insurance company whilst also writing content for a travel blog, whilst also trying to run a dating site and doing networking for the student site and running sports betting business. And it just, I was being pulled from pillar to post. And I think I'm very keen. No, I thought, yeah, I talk about this in the book a little bit. I blame Richard Branson for this because (laughs) he is held up as the poster boy of British entrepreneurship. If you're an entrepreneur, if you're a real entrepreneur, a true entrepreneur like Richard Branson, then you run, as he did, a student magazine and a record company and a mail order company and an airline and a bank and a mobile phone network and a radio station and, 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 and so, you know, you've got to, you know, people aspire to be Richard Branson. They aspire to run all these multitudes of companies just like Sir Richard does. The only thing is Sir Richard doesn't really run all of these companies. He's not in those companies doing everything in all the companies. He's created the Virgin brand mm-hmm. and he's responsible for, let's be honest about it, the PR for that brand these days. He's responsible for the legacy of Virgin. He doesn't get involved with any of the day-to-day running of those businesses because he's got a management team in place that he trusts to do that. He's got tens of thousands of staff who can work for him. Your average small business owner has probably got them and themselves. Maybe the wife, maybe the kids, you know, maybe there's a, maybe there's another person in the business. And if you're that small business, you can't be Richard Branson. I was trying to be Richard Branson. You know, I was trying to run at least 12 businesses at the same time in very different sectors. Yeah, there was no crossover between the customers whatsoever. I was running very different businesses because I just, I'd have an idea, I'd get it out to market, I'd sell some, I'd go, that's great. 
And then I'd have another idea and I'd go, oh, shiny new object syndrome. Let's go off in a completely different direction and chase something totally different. Yeah, it was it was interesting that you say that there's no crossover because obviously a lot a lot of businesses now let's let's just say you you sell a product that, that solves a particular problem. Well, that that product could be a book, that could be a CD. You might have a couple of online courses. You might run events. You might speak yourself. You might have several different ways of getting the product or service out to people, but. The, the, the people that you actually talk to, the people that are actually engaging with your business are potentially the same people. So the same person might buy your book that might then go to your event without any additional, without any additional stress or work or time or, you know, a, a lot of resources that you would otherwise use. So you're saying that with, with your 12, you've got... You know, the, let's just say the, the dating and the, the travel blog, they're, they're two almost polar opposites, I guess, yeah. to, to actually advertise. And so, so what did you actually do then? So if we, if we sort of dig in a little bit to the point where you had all these businesses going, what, what did it look like? You know, what, what did your week look like? What did your day look like? Do you have, do you have any... Any things that you had to do, I guess, to make it possible so that you could maintain these businesses and actually say that you had 12 businesses, you know, what, just, just try and describe for us what that, that looked like. Utter chaos. That would probably be the best description I could give you for it. Um, <laughs> you can imagine a juggler who's trying to juggle um, puppies that are on fire. Right. That would probably sum up my average week when I was trying to run 12 businesses. Because how do you plan what you're going to do and how you're actually going to move 12 businesses forward? How are you going to grow 12 businesses concurrently and react to all the stuff that's going on within those businesses? Basically, I spent my life in my email inbox tray and in my stats software. I would just refresh, refresh, refresh. Oh, look, the stats. Oh, that, that website... I was putting out fires left, right, and center. Um, I was actually achieving very little. You know, we were, yeah, the, we were making good money. We were, um, you know, the, the website visitors were high, but compared to what we could have achieved, given actually let's just focus on one or two businesses. Let's put a manager in place on that business. Let's, let, let's give someone this business and they can run with that business and they can actually grow that business and I'll dip into that. I'll be part of the board of directors. I will literally just have a board meeting with them once a month. Um, but yeah, what, what, what was I doing? Oh, yeah, I was literally, I mean, I would spend 100 hours a week just chasing my tail, just trying to figure out and reacting to stuff. Oh, this is broken. Right, okay, I'll, I'll fix that straight away. Oh, there's a customer complaining about X, Y, Z. Right, I'll go and fix that now. Oh, there's an email with an opportunity. Right, let's do that. Oh, bing, I've just had a new idea for another business. Good, let's, I wonder if the domain name's available. Oh, it is, brilliant. Right, drop everything, we're starting a new business. That was my life in kind of 2006, 2007. Um, wow. Crazy, crazy times. So, because obviously you, you were able to do that. So for a lot of people listening, that 
that might be very, very far removed from what their just what their capacity is. You know, mm. they they might struggle to run one or two given resources, time, energy, money, you name it. But you yeah. you were you were physically able to. I mean, let, let's just say keeping them afloat. Let's just say yeah. as, as a as a minimum as a minimum situation, you were able to say that you ran twelve businesses, not not have four and the other eight were kind of in the background you were doing a hundred plus hours a week running these 12 businesses so did you have any any structure to go by did you have any like morning routines that allowed you to work at that level what what sort of things did you do to be able to just say that you had those businesses and even just just running them yeah, no, I think the only routine, morning routine I really had was uh, when the sun, sun comes up, then it was time for me to go to bed um, and stop pulling the all-nighters. Um, it, was, it was very unstructured at that time. Uh, I think that's one of the things I was very keen to change. Right. Um, and it certainly made a big, big difference when I did change it. Um, in actually putting that structure in place and saying, right, what is my actually... What's my role? What's my very clearly defined role within this business? Because I was just managing director of an overarching company and I was you know, managing director or CEO for each of the individual businesses, which I interpreted at the time as, well, that's just jack of all trades. I'll, I'll do everything for all the businesses. Um, we outsourced a lot of stuff. Don't get me wrong. You know, I, I remember reading um, for our work week, Tim Paris's book, probably in 2005, 2006, not long after it first came out and thinking my, my interpretation of that at the time was right. I need to outsource everything. I need to automate as many things as possible because then we can scale up. We can grow even further. We were, you know, we were trying to grow a massive empire at the time. You know, I make it sound like we were struggling and I was struggling from a productivity point of view, but from a making money point of view, we were making money hand over fist um because we had 12 businesses and we we ironically we probably could have made more money if we'd actually shut eight of those down and put a manager in place on two of them and actually really really focused strongly on two of them um and that's that's where we ended up changing things and putting a structure in place so actually i went to my business partner jason uh this would have been end of 2012 and said right I'm shutting down this business. I'm shutting down that business. I'm mothballing that one. This one runs itself, so that's fine. I, but I'm not touching any of these businesses. Your responsibility is now these four or five businesses. This is what I want you to do for them. I'm focusing on one business, and I'm going to do one thing for that one business. I'm going to be the head of marketing for this one business. My responsibility is going to be getting and keeping customers for one business and that is my primary focus that's that's all i care about so literally overnight i went from being the ceo of 12 businesses to head of marketing director of marketing for one business and what a transformation that was um, what what was what was that like so you mentioned it was overnight but so imagine that you might have had a transition period of some kind um I mean, I could be wrong, but I can't imagine doing all that was instant. Um, but what, 
when you mentioned that you, there was no structure when you first started and you actually put the structure in place and you, you sat down and you said, right, these are closing, you're doing this job, I'm doing this job. What, what effect did that actually have? And if, if you're able to share it, John, was there any, any changes that you actually made to say your, your lifestyle to be able to adjust to that? Yeah, I said it was, you know, overnight. It it probably wasn't exactly overnight, but it wasn't far off that. So it would have been, I think we shut down for Christmas. And I think it was when we started up in the January that we said, right, this is how it's going to be from now on. Um, And literally, I just redefined everyone's role within the company and started with mine. Mine was the most important one because I was adamant that I wasn't going to be managing director for 12 different companies i was going to focus entirely on one thing and to be honest i I think i said let's do this as a trial let's put it into place that okay i'm going to do this and i'm going to work like this for three months and if after three months it isn't working then all right we can always go back to what we were doing before but i saw within i would say within a week that all of a sudden i was having a big big impact on the bottom line for this one company and all of a sudden whereby we were getting a handful of customers per day all of a sudden because i was focusing on the marketing full time we were suddenly getting 25 to 30 customers a day so we'd literally 10x the productivity of this business right um, well you know I'm, i remember sitting down and planning out because it was at the time i did all my planning for the year over the christmas holidays and I think I remember sitting down and saying, right, in this year, we're going to, you know, number of sales for this one business is going to be 2,500, I think it was. That was the target for the year, which was double the previous year. So the previous year, we'd done about 1,200. And I said, right, we're going to do 2,500 in 2013. And I remember thinking that's really ambitious, but it's tough but achievable. And we got to... Um, March and in a four day period in March, we did two and a half thousand sales. So I did the whole year's worth of sales in four days purely because I didn't, again, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, I, I, I knew that actually focusing on the marketing and actually directing my efforts in one place would make a difference, but I thought it would double what we did. I wasn't expecting it to 10 exit and particularly we had this. So this was within the sports betting business. So the reason it was March was because that's the Cheltenham festival. So right, got you. festival up in Cheltenham every year. It's basically, if you work in the sports betting industry, that's your Christmas, you know, right, got you. then now is kind of the, Oh great. All the Christmas sales are coming in. If you're in the sports betting industry, it's Cheltenham. It's all about that four day period in the middle of March when all the money's made and literally we did a year's worth of sales in four days. And I just remember being absolutely gobsmacked looking at, again, looking at the stats, looking at the the spreadsheets and just seeing this massive, massive growth, like unlike any we'd ever seen before, you know, thinking, well, we did literally in that four day period, we'd done twice what we achieved in the previous 365 days. So it was unbelievable what we'd actually achieved. Um, so what, what did that look like? So when, 
when you say that you, you focused in, so clearly focusing on, on one thing, on one business made a big difference. So for those that for those that are listening, it's kind of like, okay, if you're doing a lot and you're not really making the progress that you want, then focusing is probably the a wise move from, from your experience. But then there, there must have been something that, that allowed you to go from from you know predicting to predicting to double to mm. then all of a sudden being able to ten times the amount that you were able to, to bring in. So were there any were there any marketing strategies as such, or was it simply like just doing more of the same things? It was really nailing down and identifying what works for the business. So the question that I asked myself was, look, what, how do I get customers for this business? As in, you know, literally all the customers we've got now, all those 1,200 that came in in 2012, how do I get those customers? Okay. And then how can I get more of those customers? How can I do more of that? What can I do today to get a customer, to get five customers, to get 10 customers? And it was just literally, I was going out you know, in 2012, I was going out and sporadically getting customers. I was every now and then getting going out and I was sending an email and a customer would come in or I would send, uh, I would post something on Facebook and 10 customers would come in. But I wasn't doing any of that stuff habitually. It right. wasn't a daily practice. You know, now, not, you know, literally every single day, I ask myself the question, what have I done today? literally today to get new customers you know literally this morning i've gone out and i've got new customers for one of our businesses i've been on facebook messenger chatting to people i've been pitching people on email um you know i've done something and as long as every you know i do not let a day go by without doing something to either get a customer or to keep a customer we do a lot of obviously we work with membership websites so we do a lot of retention work with our website so there's a lot of um, education, lots of nurturing, um, you know, a little bit of wowing the customer, lots of things we do there. But actually, every single day, I want to be focused entirely on getting and keeping customers. Um, what worked for us well back in 2013 was certainly doing Facebook, Facebook ads. Um, that would have been the launch of Facebook ads, really, for us. We tried it, I think, a few years before, and it didn't work out. Um, we were prompted that actually, yeah, they've re rejigged their algorithms a little bit now. It's a little bit better. And sure enough, it was like, it was like the early days of AdWords. When I, I remember working with AdWords literally on the day they launched in the UK and being able to buy traffic. You know, I, I could have bought traffic for the term credit cards for like two pence. That's, right. That's wow. Crazy AdWords was when it first launched. Facebook ads in 2013 was probably not far off that you know i was buying leads very very cheaply um and i was sending lots of emails I, I, it's simple things like i discovered when i send a marketing email i get sales so why did i only send 10 marketing emails in 2012 so in 2013 i sent about 500 literally i said right, yeah. you know and occasionally when we had big campaigns on i'd send three or four now, for mm. most businesses, they're not in a position to send 500 marketing emails in a year. 
but I bet you they could send two a week quite easily without annoying too many people. Yes, you're going to get people unsubscribed. You're going to get people moaning. Those people were never going to buy from you anyway. What you, if you believe, if you truly believe that your product is the answer to your customers' problems and, and you are the solution, then you've got a duty-bound honor. It is your absolute responsibility to give them every opportunity to purchase your product. If you know it's crap, don't sell it to them. But if you honestly believe that their life will be better as a result of having your product in their life, it is your duty and your responsibility to let them know about it and to market it to them. Yeah, really, uh, I really get that. I really appreciate you saying that because there are there are loads of people, I guess, that, that don't believe in themselves or their products enough to to merit marketing it as aggressive as it would take to get one client and yeah. when you say that you you did facebook ads and you did the emails that you got clients so was there was there an element of auditing the things that you were doing which ones worked the most and then simply replicating that over and over again or was there a different process that you used no, absolutely. It was, it was pretty much 80-20 analysis and it was a case of, right, what's working? And I, I always look, if I can find a business model that works, I want to scale it um, mm-hmm. to a point. You know, I still talk about running lifestyle businesses and you know, we, we're, not, we're no longer chasing the massive dreams that we were of the early 2000s. You know, back in 2002, 2003, I was chasing a hundred million pound company. I wanted helicopters and jets and yachts and a skyscraper with my name on the side. Um, That all changed in kind of, well, certainly 2009 when my first kid came along. And now I'm, I'm highly, highly focused on the lifestyle businesses. So we, we don't want to scale businesses too big that they end up becoming a behemoth and they end up being bigger than we want them to be. But with the Facebook stuff is like, okay, well, if I can spend 500 pounds a month on Facebook and generate enough customers that I know that's going to bring in say 2000 pounds worth of revenue over the year. Okay. That I've got a cash machine now, 500 pounds in 2000 pounds out. So 5,000 pounds in 20,000 pounds out, 20,000 pounds in 80,000 pounds out. You know, I, I, and I just know that I can scale up. As long as the numbers remain the same, mm-hmm. I will just scale up. Um, and that's all we did in 2013 was we started off probably spending, at the start of the year, yeah, probably 500 quid a month on Facebook. By the end of the year, we were spending close to 100 grand a year with them because the numbers right, were. Well, yeah, um, yeah. We were able to just scale up and say, okay, we've got a cash machine here. It is literally money in the top, money at the bottom. And as long as the money at the bottom is higher than the money in the top, happy days. Yeah. Um, obviously, that, but that, none of that happens. It isn't just spending money on Facebook equals money at the bottom. We had to have that system in place. We had to have the process. We had to have the whole marketing funnel in place. We had to have the systems. We had to have the emails. We had to have the text marketing set up. Everything needed to be in place to be an effective cash machine that when we then spent money on Facebook ads and it doesn't need to be Facebook ads. That could be 500 quid on direct mail 
that could be 500 quid on telemarketers that could be 500 quid on a code marketing list um, it's just literally if you find a route to find customers that is profitable that you can scale why wouldn't you want to scale it yeah absolutely um so when when we talk about finding that out so obviously you you were at a point where you realized what works and then you simply did more of it to bring in that that 10x your your income in those four days so for someone that's finding what works first what what would you suggest i think the more things you can try the better and the more you monitor you've got to you know we monitor absolutely everything now um you know i literally we get we get um uh, 17 page KPI report from one of the businesses every month which monitors absolutely everything so I know how much I'm paying for a lead from every source that we get leads from I know how much a customer's worth to me I know how much I'm willing to pay to get a customer so if I work out okay the average customer stays with us for two years ten months and is worth 73 quid to us then I know I can spend 15 to 20 pounds winning that customer. Now that may mean that we don't make any money on that customer for the first six months of their lifetime. But we know because we've worked out the customer journey and we worked out what the actual customer lifetime value is. We know what we're willing to spend to get a customer. That's got to be the first point because otherwise people just look for cheap marketing. And that this is probably the biggest mistake people make is they look for what's free or they look for what's cheap. I look for what's effective. You know, I need to know, yeah, if I've got a customer that's, you know, say I'm working in a high-end place and I've got a really good margin to play with and I've got a customer that's worth £3,000 to me, I will happily spend six or £700 to win that customer. Whereas some other people in that space would say, how can I get some free marketing? How, what's the cheapest marketing? What's the cheapest advertising I can do to try and get a customer? If you do cheap marketing and cheap advertising, you end up with cheap customers who don't value what you do. I would rather spend more money on a really, really good customer, one that I know is going to stay for a long time, one that I know is absolutely the right person. I don't, you know, stop trying to be everything to everyone. Stop trying to market to everyone. And actually just narrow down exactly who is your target market? Who is your ideal customer? Okay, where do we find those people? Where do they hang around? What Facebook groups are they in? What newspapers do they read? Where do they live? Are they local? Can we actually, you know, is there another community group they're part of? Do they have any other interests that we could go into? Is there someone else who's got a list of these type of customers that doesn't compete with me that will be willing to share that we could promote each other, do a joint venture. There's so many options out there, but I think you've got to try lots of things, monitor everything so you know this works, this doesn't. And it is just a case of if it works, do more of it. If it doesn't, stop doing it. It, it really is as simple as that. So what? when would you... Um 
suggest that people did that pruning process. So you've got this idea of trying it, seeing if it works. If it does, if it doesn't, then you sort of, you know, do the 80-20 analysis you mentioned before and get rid of the things that, that don't work. Is there a certain moment when you make that decision or is it subjective? Because obviously some people have different thresholds and things. Is it, is it subjective or do you sort of say, well, keep pushing because you never know or no, it's not going to work. We need to stop it and try something new. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it is subjective because I think it matters um, if you look at your individual budget. You know, if you've literally, if you're down to your last 500 quid, then me saying to you, well, you know, just spend 250 quid on it and see what happens isn't the right advice for you. Whereas actually, if you're down to your last 100,000 pounds, then probably saying to you, yeah, spend a grand on that, see what happens is good advice. Um, we probably, we would limit it at either a monetary value and say, right, we're going we're gonna to spend 500 pounds, a thousand pounds on this and see what happens. We'd give something a period of time. So, um, we say, right, we'll give it six months and see what happens. It's not necessarily going to be costing us a huge sum of money there, but we're going to give it six months or in the, in the very early days, we'd work with a lot of online things and we'd say, right, we'll give it at least a hundred clicks or we'll give it. 500 clicks which that removes the anomalies that removes the well we've had we've had 10 clicks and no sales so it doesn't work yeah but what if the the 11th 12th and 13th clicks were both were all sales that yeah. skewed your, your, your conversion rate so actually if i see 100 clicks and no sales yeah something's probably wrong there if i see 100 clicks and 10 sales then i'd probably say okay let's let's give it a thousand clicks and see if we still end up with 100 sales at the end of it. Let's see if that conversion is right when we increase the numbers. If it, if it drops, okay, we'll need to maybe ease back on it. If it increases, happy days. We'll see what happens when we get 5,000 clicks to it. Um, it's really just monitoring, giving things free reign to be able to actually, you know, you've got to be able to make a, an honest decision whether things are working because so many business owners will make a gut decision. You know, I... I we will sometimes be dishing out advice to people and we immediately know from their response that no, no, it, it really, it didn't work. You know, um, the reason it didn't work is because they knew it wasn't going to work before they started. And so they went into it half heartedly, didn't write the copy correctly, didn't put the positioning correctly, didn't put the budgeting up right. And then, no, what do you know? No, it didn't really work. Right. So yeah, I mean, for, for people listening, just a couple of things that, that I definitely take away is that a lot of it does come down to monitoring because obviously if you're not monitoring anything, then you don't know where the goalposts are. You don't know where the thresholds are because you could set a threshold that might not be high enough for you to actually take that thing on. So, because obviously maybe things like advertising things, you might say, okay, let's give it a hundred pounds, say, just as a, a figure to start with. But let's say to get anything back, because of the, the cost of, of entry or whatever, you might need more than that just to make something viable. So you need to understand your numbers, basically. You need to understand the, the, the thresholds that you've set. You need to understand what, what your limits are so that if you go past them, yeah. as, as, you, as you said, John, you need, you need to have that, that honest conversation with yourself of, okay, I've gone past this now. Is it working? Is it not working? How, how do we know? that it's working like what would working look like what would not working look like to us and you, you need to have these sort of conversations and 
I would probably say before that you take action, would I be right in saying that? So you don't you don't do all these things once it's up and running, do you, John? No, no, absolutely. You want to you want to test it um, almost, let's say, with the minimum viable product. So you want to get a product to market and then test and actually see, right? Can I get leads for this product? Can I get customers for this product? Without knowing what that customer value is, you need to actually. It's very difficult with a new business, but if you're running an existing business, you should be able to dive into your account software. Um, if you don't know how to do that, ask your accountant and just say to them, I need to know what the average customer lifetime value is because I don't do anything now without knowing what's a customer worth to me, what am I willing to pay for a customer, what am I willing to pay for a lead. Therefore, that affects every single judgment I make. Every decision I make is based on what am I willing to pay? What's a lead worth to me? I know if I'm in the sports betting business, it's worth X amount and I will not pay above that. So I know actually if I get leads from a particular source and they're coming through at £25 a lead, I know that's too much. I either need to improve the conversion rate, you know, and that, that may be iterating. It may not be actually stopping a campaign, but it may just be saying, okay, it's, it's high but it's in the ballpark. What can we do to get that down? Well, actually, if we, if we apply some marginal gains here and we increase the click-through rate from the advert and we increase the conversion rate of the landing page and we increase the conversion rate from um, lead to sale and we increase the average transaction value by 10% and we get them to stay for 10% longer, all of a sudden we can pay almost double per lead and still be profitable just by those the cumulative effect, the uh, the compounding of those marginal gains means actually if we can test something out and it's a little bit high, there's the potential there that, that could still be profitable. If we try something out and it's astronomically high, then something majorly has gone wrong. But what I really like about the testing is we can look at the, the figures and we can know at what point things are falling down. So I will... You know, I quite often look at a campaign and someone say, well, this campaign doesn't work. Uh, I'm going to turn the Facebook ads off. And then all of a sudden I'll dive into the stats and I'll say, well, actually your conversion, your click-through rate from Facebook to the landing page is good. Um, your conversion from the landing page to email, that's good. People are signing up on the mailing list. Ah, here's the problem. They're reading your, your email copy and it's crap. They're not clicking through to the sales page. So that's where the leakage is occurring fix that problem and all of a sudden the Facebook ads becomes profitable. Um, but so many people think that if they're not making money, it's Facebook's fault. Well, it's not Facebook's fault. Facebook's job is to sell you relevant traffic according to the parameters you've given them at, mm -hmm. the, at the highest price they possibly can. Yeah. That's so I mean, so I, I quite like the, the concept that you mentioned there to plug in the leaks. So obviously when, when you say monitoring, obviously the, the customers or clients that you have go on some, some sort of journey, you know, from, from advertisement to sale and where, where things aren't hitting the numbers that you see. So getting back to monitoring for the, the listeners, um, you're able to see, okay, what part of the, the journey, so to speak, isn't working. So if the advertising's working, the, the, um, the, the conversions rate's working, they're subscribing to the email list, but they're not buying from the email, then that's 
that's where the, the issue is and that's where the the changes or the adjustments need to be made but then obviously if if that's doing okay, considering the amount of people that are clicking on the advertisement, let's say the Asda thing that's not hitting the percentages or that the cost per click might be too high because there aren't enough clicks or whatever the case is, then that's that's where you change. So I think I just want to, to kind of reiterate this idea of, of monitoring makes things easier. So you can imagine what it would be like without monitoring you know as you said you you sort of say it's facebook's fault but that that would probably happen if you didn't monitor certain things so how 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 do you think that plays into it so how would you how would you function i guess as a business running the the sports betting the property and the the mentoring side would that be possible effectively without monitoring do you think Oh no! I mean, if, if you, you know, particularly you look at the sports betting stuff, you know, we work with bookmakers. Now, bookmakers are the kings of monitoring absolutely everything. They they are data driven. You know, that's all they do all day is look at odds and probability. It's maths. It's not actually betting to them. It's all just a maths equation. Um, everything we do, it comes down to this. The whole, you know. The KPI report is key for me. That's my main role now within any of the businesses we've got is I want to know, I want a report every month on my desk that shows me everything that's going on in the businesses. So I've then got my fingers on the button. So whereas I was trying to be MD of 12 businesses, I'm now kind of MD of three businesses and a couple of joint ventures. But I need to know in each of those businesses, I can dive into that business for an hour when I'm just reading through a KPI report. And I can see... This business here, so we've got, um, you've got an outsourced telesales department, people that don't like picking up the phone, we can actually phone your customers for you. Um, I can look at that business and say, well, we're spending 25% more for a lead than we were this point last year. Why is that? Oh, it's because we've got a better quality of customer now and they're staying a little bit longer and they're upselling and they're spending more with us so we can pay more for a customer. So therefore, we've increased the spend here. Um, you need to know what your normal conversion rates are so if i know actually the standard conversion rate for um from an email to a landing page is 10 percent, and all of a sudden I, I find a new source of traffic i start doing some direct mail postcards and we send them to the website and we get them on the email and then all of a sudden the click through from that is seven percent then i know ah okay that audience reacts differently because perhaps you know, they come from an offline background onto online. We do a lot of multimedia stuff, you know, um, you know, probably one of the biggest senders of direct mail in this country are Google. Um, so it's, it's very important to mix up your media and not just do Facebook or just do Facebook ads. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very important. I think to, to know what the norm is, know what your, what your average response rate should be for an email, know what the average click-through rate from, from one of your Facebook ads is, know what your average order value is, so that then you know what's coming. You can start planning. Actually, if I, you know, if I know what my conversion rate is from an ad to a landing page to an email to a sales to the average transaction value to the average customer length, I can plot in. If I buy 10,000 clicks next month, I can... Act pretty accurately predict what my revenue is going to be for the following year 
Whereas if I don't have a clue what any of those numbers are and I go out and buy 10,000 clicks, I might make money, I might lose money, but I don't really know. Until I know those numbers and I know them inside out for each of my businesses and I know, right, the, the telesales business, that converts at 7%. The sports betting business, that converts at 30%. Completely different markets, completely different businesses. But without knowing those numbers, I don't know what's good and what's bad. Because you know, some people will say, oh, well, you know, I can buy leads for five pounds. That's great. Uh, if I'm selling a 2,000 pound seminar, happy days. I'll happily buy those leads off you for five quid. Uh, when we were running the student website, um, I, was, I wouldn't pay more than 15 pence for a lead because that's what the customers were worth to us then. And you need to act, accurately know what's a customer worth to me, not just in terms of this transaction. They may come on to your business, they may come into your premises and buy an item today, but what are they actually worth to you? What is getting them in the door the very first time worth to you? If you're a restaurant owner, what is persuading someone to come into your restaurant the first time worth to you versus getting a, a customer who's been to you before back in the door? You know, I would argue that getting them in the first time is much more important and it's much more valuable than getting them back because getting them back is easy. You know, they've been there before. If they, unless they had an awful time, you should be able to persuade them to come back. But persuading them to give something new and untried a go you know, you've then got the potential to um, encourage them back again and again. You know, a lot of restaurant owners would say they want to make money on that first meal. If I was a restaurant owner, I would happily lose money on that first meal. I would certainly give it away for free and I'd probably be happy to lose money as long as I knew, looking into the numbers, if I got the books of the previous um, owners of the restaurant said actually how often do people come back on average the average customer comes to my restaurant 3.7 times per year cool if I can increase that to 5.7 and get more people and pay people to come in and have meal number one then after two years I'm gonna have a hell of a business there yeah I mean I like the the idea of if it kind of makes it makes things a lot simpler, as you say. Like, if there's no point in having people come to you that costs them, say, five pounds, if you're if you're selling something which is cheaper than that, yeah. so then then it doesn't make sense to to go ahead and do that in the first place. I guess, otherwise, it's just not it's just not going to work in, in the long term. If every if every person comes through the door. And they, let's just say they don't buy again to take away the, the restaurant example, then you're at a loss. But as you say, if, if someone sees your, your restaurant goes in five times, then as long as you're good, you yeah. know, as, as long as the, the food's nice, the service is nice, they might even leave the, the waiter or waitress a tip if, if it's that sort, of, that sort of environment and they're going to come back five times anyway, then if, if you're guaranteed five, let's say every customer you get is five times, then as long as you make money on four, 
you, you're allowed to, to lose money on, on the first one, you know? Yeah. So it gives, it puts things into perspective. It gives things, it gives things a bit of room, I guess. If the room is there, it gives you the clarity that you need in order to, to put things in place and make things more worthwhile. Because obviously yeah. things run, things run or don't run based on, on certain things, certain parameters. Exactly. With, with that restaurant example, again, if, if, if I look at the KPI report and I see that, yeah, the average customer comes back 3.7 times, then one of my tasks is going to be, I want to increase that number. How do I increase that number? How do I get that from 3.7 to 5.7? Right, well, let's actually make sure that the atmosphere is right. Let's, let's speak to some of the customers who haven't come back and let's find out why they're not coming back. Let's encourage them to. Let's make sure that actually everyone who comes in for that first visit is treated like absolute royalty and perhaps they're given a, a voucher code to come back in a month's time and you know, give them a free dessert next time they come in or a free coffee or something like that just to get them back in that door the second time. Eventually, that's going to turn into a habit. There's, you know, it's, marketing isn't just about going out and getting new customers. Often using the restaurant example again people are coming through the doors what they're not doing though is coming back so i would look at it and say right what marketing can i do how can i keep those customers how can i get them coming back more often how can i get them spending more money with me so you know perhaps they normally have um a starter and a main how, to, how can i get them to also stay for dessert and coffee a lot of the restaurants I've been in, the easiest way to do that is to actually offer it to them because lots of places don't. Yeah. Um, you know, how do I get them to spend more money? How do I get them to refer their friends? How do I get them to bring their friends in to introduce their friends to the restaurant? When their friends come in, how do I get them to come back with their friends? And it's, but it's all driven by that KPI report, by me looking at the average number of visits per year and saying, right, what can I do to increase that number because I know if I increase that number there's only you know there's only three ways to actually grow your business one is to um, get more customers in the door one is to get them coming back more often and one is to get them to spend more money with you so you increase the frequency of the transaction the volume of the transaction or the actual value of the transaction um, they're the only three ways to actually grow a business um, and if you can do all three you don't actually need to increase each of those by very much you know if you can get more customers coming in. If you can get 10% more customers coming in, 10% of those coming back more often, and all of those customers spending 10% more with you, you will have something like a 50% growth in your gross profit just by making a little 10% gross, 10% uh, gain on each of those items. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really simple, I guess, when you, when you put it that way. You know, when when you see the numbers and you, you get is it the key performance indicator report, isn't it? That's, that, that's yeah, what you mean yeah. by KPI, yeah? So having, having that there can make things an awful lot simple. And you, you've spoken about quite a lot, John, I'll be honest. We've been, we've been over an hour now. So if, if you could, what, what do you think would be the one piece of advice that you could give to someone that would make the, the biggest difference for someone that's struggling? Because obviously you do a lot of business mentoring now. So what do you think was the, the one piece of advice that you could give to make the biggest difference to someone struggling with starting their small business or indeed scaling their small business? 
Yeah, I think, I think it's both really. Um, the advice would be to focus on one thing. Um, for me, it was focusing on one business and one task for that business. For me, I, I, I struggle to see how there is a more important task in anyone's business than getting and keeping customers. Um, you know, there's, there's very, there's a, I can't remember who's saying it was now, but there's a famous saying that there's very few problems that can't be solved with a really good sales letter. Um, <laughs> if you're able to write copy and you're able to sell and you're able to go out and actually do something to get customers, then you are, your business is going to be in a much better place than it would otherwise be. Um, that would be my focus. Certainly to focus on one task per day. We, I mean, we, a lot of the mentoring we do is all focused around one, one task per week. So we set 90 day goals for our clients and we say, right over the next three months, you're going to achieve just three things, nothing else. You know, if, if the, if the rest of the business goes to hell in a handcart and you've got 500 unread emails in your inbox and you've got 200 Facebook notifications unread, so be it. But as long as you achieve these three things, your business will grow. It will move forward. And then we just drill down on a weekly basis and we just say, right, every week, do your 80-20 analysis at the start of the week. What is the one thing that if you do that one thing this week, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters apart from that one thing. So I, we talked before we came on air that I've got a massive um, sales campaign happening in the sports betting business. Literally, it's deadline day today. Uh, we're recording this in the afternoon. It's about quarter past two now. Deadline is 5 p.m. tonight. So my one thing for this week is just to nail the hell out of that campaign. I am going hell for leather, making sure that I get every single sale that I can in. You know, we last year we did this campaign. And we brought in something like 75 sales in that very last hour just by focusing on it. You know, we, we went out and we asked for those sales. Um, what I could do and what I certainly would have done in the past is I would have spent the last day going, well, it's a busy day today. Let's just refresh the stats. Let's have a look at the sales that are coming in. Now, I'm out there today actively getting sales. I'm out there making sure that the team are G'd up. You know, I'm out there. I was on, uh, we've got a, company Facebook page and I was just before we came online I was cracking the whip in there making sure that actually the team are doing everything possible to sell as many of these um, tickets as possible so that's my one thing for this week nothing else matters literally I'm glancing over at my inbox now and I've got 133 unread emails in my inbox right well so I, by the end of the, today that number will not be going down I can absolutely guarantee you because I, I won't be looking at my inbox I won't be looking at Facebook. Literally, you know, I, I think I opened my inbox this morning. I did some emails this morning and then I've left it alone. I do not work in my email inbox tray. My inbox is someone else's to-do list. It's not mine. My to-do list is on one sheet of paper here and I've got, um, I've got an orange sheet that I do. And we work out with our weekly planners, work out exactly what we're doing every day and on bright red on the top of one I've got this week's one thing and that's it I only ever do no not saying I only ever do one thing but I only ever look to achieve one thing we achieve more than that of course we do but that's the most important thing that's what I that's where I start first thing on a Monday morning is right what's my one thing I don't start Monday morning and think right what emails have come in over the weekend 
let's check the answer phone messages. Oh, look, there's some kitten videos I need to watch on Facebook. I don't mess around in any of that. It's just literally, right, what matters? Right, we've got, we've got a big campaign. We've got a sales campaign. Deadline's 2 p.m. Tuesday. Right, we're on that. That is all I've looked at yesterday, and that's all I've looked at today. Tomorrow, yeah, I can dive into my email inbox because I've done my one thing for the week. I've achieved that. I've moved the business forward. It's about just moving that needle forward every day, every week. Um, so many people focus on the big numbers, right? How can I double my business? You know, how can I get an extra £2,000 a month coming in? You need to look at the incremental gains, you know, like I did when I was, you know, with my £13.51. How can I turn that into £13 a month? That wasn't a difficult task, but it was a, it was a stepping stone that had to be made. How can I crawl forward? How can I just make sure that no matter what happens this month, this quarter, this year, this week, today, today, my business grows because I go out and I get at least one more customer than I had yesterday. If I do that every day, then over the course of a year, my business is in a much, much healthier place. And it's just literally, don't focus on I need 500 customers this year. Focus on I need one and a half customers a day. I need three customers every two days. If I can do that, every, every second day, I can pick up the phone to five people and win three customers. And that's all my business needs to do. That's my one thing. That's the one thing I need to focus on. Focus on that and everything else will fall into place. Yes, people will get annoyed at you because you take seven days to answer an email. I get that. My accountant knows now if she emails me, it's not seen for at least two weeks. You know, when, when, because I triage everything. And by the time that, you know, answering where's the receipt for um, this bit of software that you bought three months ago, by the time that gets to the top of my priority list, it's going to, you know, some time will have passed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely a, a theme here of, of focusing on and eventually going through some kind of pruning process so that you're only doing the, only doing the important things, you know, yeah. like the, you're not wasting time, I guess. You're not wasting energy and you're doing the things that, that matter the most. And as you say, John, you know, the things that, that move the needle every, every couple of days or every day or every well, week, exactly. whatever even if the that's case marginally, is. Even if you barely notice that needle moving, if you just, if you know that, right, we've got, 731 customers at the moment if by the end of the week we're on 733 that's a good week happy yeah. day that that's growth and you compound that over a year it's fantastic um a lot of this stems from when i went part-time um so back in 2009 uh, my first son was born and my mindset changed literally overnight so I mentioned before we were chasing 100 million pound companies and yachts and helicopters and all that. Um, literally, as soon as he came along, as soon as Jack came along, all of a sudden my priority was to be there for him. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be the dad that was at every sports day, every assembly. You know, literally, I do the school runs. Um, we're finishing here at three. I am literally, I'm straight on the school run then, um, picking him up. You know, three days a week, I am daddy daycare between before 9am and after 3pm. Um, and yeah, he started, he started nursery in the July and my wife was going back to work following maternity leave. So I'd gone from 
having a hundred hours a week in front of me all the time in the world that I wanted to just sit there and refresh that and F5 stuff and look at my email inbox and look at those kitten videos on Facebook. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, Oh my God, I've only got 25 hours a week now because literally I'm dropping him to nursery at say eight in the morning. I've got to pick him up at one in the afternoon. He may sleep, he may not, but I have literally got from the time I get back at my desk to the time I've got to go pick him up. I've got four hours. And that's all I've got. And when, you, when I knew that I only had four hours a day, oh my God, the stuff I achieved in those four hours was unbelievable. I started yeah. off, and I remember I did a blog post at the time saying, look, I'm going part-time. Um, I don't know how this is going to pan out, but here's what I'm planning on doing. And I kind of said, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the 80-20 principle because I've roughly got 20% of the hours that I used to work. So I'm only going to do the 20% of stuff that gets 80% of the results. And what I expected to happen there was that I would get 80% of the results. I thought, well, that's fair enough. You know, I, I'm going to only do 20% of the work, but we can live. We can survive on 80% of what I was currently earning. That's happy days. No worries. What actually happened was we got about 300% of what we were living on because all of a sudden – because I was only focused on that 20%, I just, I wasn't doing, I literally, it's not so much what I did, it's what I stopped doing. I stopped messing around. I stopped doing anything that didn't contribute 80% of my revenue. You know, I only did the 20%, and by only focusing on that 20%, I suddenly noticed that I was really, really effective. And actually, I didn't, I probably had, an extra two hours a week that I could do a bit more and I could scale things up and I could spend more time doing the stuff that actually matters. And I've just carried that forward now. So that was say 2009. So that was eight years ago now that I went part time. And literally even now I work 20, 25 hours a week maximum. You know, I do the, do the school runs Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I work full time ish on a Thursday, Friday. I do, you know, I nip off to the gym or, take a half day on a Friday for um, date night with, uh, with the wife. But I can only do that because I accept the chaos that is my inbox and my notifications. And yeah, I had a conversation with a lady the other day and I, I, unfortunately I think I really shocked her because she'd left me a couple of voicemail messages and she came up to me at, at a networking event and she said, John, you're really, really hard to get hold of. Uh, at which point I broke into this massive beam and said, yeah, I know I am, aren't I? Said, oh, oh, well, yeah, I think she's expecting me to sort of really apologize. Oh, you know, you know how it is. I've been snowed under, really busy. But it's like, actually, yeah, I am hard to get hold of. Yeah. Intentionally so. I, I never answer my phone. Um, you know, if, if anyone's ever tried calling me, then I do not answer my phone unless it's the school because something's happened with the kids. Mm-hmm. or we've got a scheduled call, I don't answer the phone because I'm, you're interrupting me. If you're in, you, know, you are stealing the food from my children's mouths, as I've mentioned once or twice on, on our podcast. It's, um, you're, you're interrupting me from what is my very, very important tasks. You know, I've already triaged everything I do and I've identified what the one thing is that gives me the biggest bang for my buck that is... I don't need to do anything other than this one thing. So if that's the case, why are you picking up the phone if it rings? 
only to find it's somebody trying to say, have you had PPI? You know, <laughs> that on the line. It's like, why would you interrupt that? So I work from home. I've got a system on our home phone now, which uh, doesn't even ring. That Our home phone does not ring unless it's a trusted number. So yeah, friends and family have got pre-allowance. If someone strange rings through, it goes to a pre-screening software. And it says, you know, who are you? And if you say I'm, you know, Dave's dodgy double glazing salesman, um, then it will, it will then eventually ring and say, hi, John, I've got a call for you from Dave's dodgy double glazing. Do you want to speak to them? And I'll go, no, no, thank you. Hangs off. And it leaves a message for them saying, thank you. We're not interested in your call. Please never call again. And it blocks the number. Um, any international numbers, any unknown numbers, all blocked. Absolutely amazing. So I've, and I, I work from home and I get no interruptions. Um, you know, if I do, I get very angry. If, I, if someone knocks on the door uh, and tries to sell me something, I do get very angry with them. We've got a no cold caller sign and I do sort of get a bit irate with them because I just say, so, you know, um, so what do you do for a living? Oh, I, I, you know, as you can see, I sell gas and electricity door to door. Do you? Oh, that's interesting. So, so if you obviously, if you were in the middle of closing a sale with someone, I said, and all of a sudden I just completely barged up and interrupted you and said, Oh, hi mate. I've got, I've got someone I'd like to sell you. How would you feel about it? I said, well, I'd be pretty bloody annoyed with you. I said, yeah, that's what you've just done to me. Cause I work from home and you've just interrupted me from what is the most important task that I've got to do this week. And you've just interrupted me from doing that. Um, and you need to be so protective of your time. You literally need to be that, that anal about it, that any interruption is stealing the food from your children's mouths. Um, because literally, you know, that you've identified what the most important thing in your business is. You've set the time across aside to do that. Why would you let anything get in the way of that? I, I, I certainly wouldn't. Yeah, it's, it, it's not something that I would disagree with either, to be honest, John, because uh, as you say, like when, when you do the things that are important, when you do prioritize, when you do do this 80-20 analysis and you do look at the things that are important, you do stop the things that aren't important, everything that you do suddenly becomes a priority. Yeah. And, well... In your case, everything. And I know the people that are parents, people that are parents that are running their own businesses, that are entrepreneurs will be listening to this going, oh, so I don't have to spend three hours scrolling through Facebook. Well, no, because if you turn notifications off on certain people's posts and you... I do know some people that have even deleted the app and just have the Facebook groups app open on their phone as as an app that they've downloaded. So they don't get access to Facebook as a whole. It's just the the Facebook groups that they've joined and they've they've left the groups that they've not really that interested in. I use a uh, Facebook newsfeed blocker. So literally, if I, if I do the Facebook groups, if I'm within Facebook Messenger, everything works as normal. As soon as I hit the little blue icon at the top to go to the homepage, it just comes up with a blank screen. Oh, yeah, nothing to see here. Move along. Yeah, so it, I guess, as you say, you know, when, when things are important, things, things suddenly, funnily enough, become important. And it, it's hard, I guess, for some people because they might not have that. They might not know what's important but then as you mentioned before it's you need to analyze it you need to try things you need to prune things back you need to understand that you do have to value your time you do have to to 
put things in place so that you're able to make the most out of your time. And, you know, it, it's, it's a constant, I wouldn't say it was a battle, but it's a, definitely a constant process of discovering that. So when, when we're talking about, say, yourself, John, so if you were to start again, let's just say, so this, this, this is going to tie into the important side of things, I'm sure, but if you were to start again from scratch, and let's just say because you're quite good in terms of importance and things i'm only going to give you a budget of say 200 pounds to start with what would your process be if you were to start again with with nothing okay do i have the knowledge that i've got now (laughs) i'm gonna say yeah go on okay because if i didn't that would be the first place i would go because i you know remember i identified that back in the start i knew that i knew nothing so if i didn't if I, you know, if I didn't have the knowledge I've got now, I would literally say, right, I need, I need to know what I don't currently know. So, I, right, so I, I've got the knowledge I've got now and I've got a £200 budget. Yeah, so I, I would look at probably partnering up with someone who has the rest of the money. Um, okay, yeah. At, I would certainly look at a few business models um, because obviously I've got, I've got some business models in reserve now whereby well actually if i had all the time in the world and i'm not running the businesses that i've got now and i've not got the property stuff that i'm doing now and i'm not mentoring clients i would probably uh, look to get one or two of those off the board um the other thing i would possibly do depends if money is an issue um so i've got my 200 pound budget i can i can happily spend that on Mm -hmm. Um, a domain name, get you know, get WordPress hosting, buy a little bit of traffic to it. Regardless of what the business is, I think this is the process I would go through is let's get some digital assets up there. Let's get a website. Let's get a Facebook page. Let's get perhaps a Facebook group. Um, let's buy a little bit of traffic to it. Let's see what the conversion rates are. Let's build these KPIs. Let's build the numbers. Let's find out how cheaply can I get people onto a mailing list Okay, if I can get them onto a mailing list, how quickly can I get them to know, like, and trust me? How quickly can I then move them to a sale? When I do move them to a sale, what are my products going to be? What's my upsell sequence going to be? Um, how long can I actually retain those customers? Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't go too far into what the business model exactly would be, but certainly that would be the process I would go through is how quickly can I get some digital assets up there and how quickly can I find out what the numbers are, what the KPIs are for those assets. Um, and I think I'd probably still have some money left from your 200 quid. All right. What, what things would you try to avoid? Are there any mistakes that you would try to, to stay away from when you were starting again? Um, yeah, probably the, the biggest mistake I made when I started out was trying to do too much uh, and not persevering with one thing. Um, you know, I was trying to market to everyone. So I would be very, very clear, I think this time, on who my target market is and only going after those people with a laser targeting focus. You know, I want to know exactly who my target market is, who the perfect customer is, and I want to know how can I find those people? Where can I, where can I find them? How can I speak to them? Um, I might use some of that £200 to buy a few people a coffee identify who the influencers are in that sector 
and just pick their brains. The same as I found Clark back in 2000, I would find myself a mentor very, very quickly. Um, someone who's been there, done that. Someone who's perhaps even just a couple of years ahead of you on the journey because they, you know, the, their memory of the mistakes that you're about to make is very, very fresh and very raw and they will be able to help you, help steer you through that journey. So I would, yeah, I would like to say who can help me? You know, who can I partner up with? Who can I, who can I be mentored by? Um, who's out there? Who's done this before? There's always a blueprint. You know, if you, you may think you've got the most original business in the world, but it still fits into a rough blueprint and someone would have done it before. And if you can find that blueprint or you can find that person, you can get them to share that blueprint with you. Sounds good. So you, you've obviously, you, you've wrote a book on running small businesses uh, you have a book that obviously helps people. Is this for new businesses starting out or is this for the people that already have an idea, already have some something that looks like a business? Um, I think you need to have a business. Now, that doesn't necessarily need to be a successful business. It doesn't necessarily be the business that you want to run. But I think it really helps if you've got a business. If you've just got an idea and you're just starting out, yes, there's absolutely some tactics in there that you can take away. But this is a distilled version of the last 17 years of my business career. It is literally the... The, you know, the, the 60-odd businesses that I've run, the, the thousands of mistakes that I've made in those businesses, but also a lot of the successes we've had. So there's a lot of takeaways in there. I think even, even for a lot of the seasoned business owners, you know, I've, I work with a lot of business owners who've been around the block and they know what they're talking about. A lot of people who are actually very well seasoned and the response I've had from them has been fantastic in terms of yeah, I thought I knew a lot of this stuff, but I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And it's given me a to-do list of 27 items that I know I should be doing in my business that I'm not doing. Um, it's, it's designed to be not necessarily a, a how-to list, but it's, you can read through it. There's some, there's some cracking stories in there from some of the stuff, particularly the early days um, of the, the dot-com businesses. There's some fantastic stories in there from that time, but it's, you can dip into, into it. You can take out the big ideas. We've got some standout lessons in there that actually you can take away and implement in your business. I've, I've designed it to be simple and practical. You know, I want it to be, I'm just a normal bloke who's done all right out of making money on, on the online businesses. Um, it's not written in a very wordy way. It's, um, there was a comment, one of the reviews I had the other day said, he speaks very colloquially. Now, I'm not sure if that's a compliment or not, but <laughs> I take it. But a lot, lots of the reviews say, you know, it's a, it's a down-to-earth style. It is a kind of a, a no-nonsense. I don't beat around the bush. Um, I, do t- I do tend to tell it like it is, in my opinion. Um, and hopefully, I think, yeah, from what I've seen, well, certainly there's, I think there's 65 five-star reviews on Amazon at the moment. So there's, the reviews have been pretty good for it. Um, and hopefully there'll be, um, yeah, your listeners will find lots of takeaways in there. For them. I'd love to actually hear feedback, actually. All right. So it's, it's big ideas for small businesses. So if you do want to, to buy that, they're more than happy. If they think that's going on my on my list for sure. Are there any other books, John, that's, that have helped you out that you'd recommend our listeners to, to go ahead and read? 
<laughs> you know, I've, I've got a bit of a reputation um, within our mentoring group for being the guy. Uh, someone called me the book dealer the other day because I'm constantly recommending books. Um, the key thing with any, with any book, though, is, is where you are in your journey now. What do you need to learn? Um, as I said, the very first book I bought was Internet Marketing for Dummies. I wouldn't recommend that, certainly not the version I bought, because if you bought a 2000 version of how internet marketing for dummies they wouldn't even mention facebook they wouldn't mention twitter Snapchat, no. instagram they, i don't they'd even mention google so you know i wouldn't bother with that version but <laughs> probably if there's one book that i i have recommended to absolutely everyone if i'm going to say two but okay, the, the go first, for it. Book, first book i always recommend is rich dad poor dad because i think you've got to get your mindset around money and around assets and liabilities sorted first um, I, it's one of the first books I read back in 2000 and I've read it, I would say probably seven times since right. then. Every time I read it, I get something different from that book. Um, you know, and I always take some action. You know, the last time I read that book, I think it was two years ago and we came straight out of, I, I listened to it on a drive back down to Plymouth and I got back home. And I went and bought a business that weekend just right. based on, oh, need to get more assets. Right, let's go buy a business. Um, <laughs> and it was just spurred on by Robert Kiyosaki's amazing book. I, I love it. It's, you know, it's not the best written book in the world, but it's a fantastic story. And it's the lessons contained within that have been a big, big part of why I've been as successful as I have. Um, the second book that I want to recommend is a much more modern book. Uh, it's called Life in Half a Second by and i think it's matthew mckayowich um this is very very inspirational book the the title comes from apparently if if from the dawn of the birth of the planet until the end of the human species or until the planet collapses upon itself if that length of time was a year then your life on this planet would be over in half a second and that's where the title comes from um, right, nice. And it, it starts off again. I re highly recommend the audio version rather than the written version. Starts off with a very, very inspirational, tub thumping, passioned in, in, um, plea to just live your life because you are here for such a small, tiny, infantile amount of time on this massive planet. You are so insignificant. Why would you not use your finite amount of time to actually live the life you want to to actually go out there and achieve something um and then he breaks it down um into uh, what he calls the doors of success i actually um borrowed a lot of the concepts from life in half a second to get the flow for big ideas for small businesses so um you know he talks about the, the doors to success that's absolutely the doors yeah every, every time i've been any had any success whatsoever or know of anyone that's had success it's because they've got those five things in a row they know what they're doing um and yeah it's it's a fantastic book it's the only book i think i've ever read and then immediately reread um and again i think i've probably read that as many times as rich dad poor dad and i only started it three years ago so i've probably right, read well. seven or eight times too now love that book right so we've only got maybe two more questions Okay. Um, so first one is if you could say one statement to everybody, 
so everyone in the world that would impact them in a positive way what would you say slow down slow down stop stop rushing around stop trying to do everything and just focus on what actually needs to be done but just yeah take a breath slow down stop hurrying all right and what do you want the world to know about you that it doesn't already know wow that's an interesting one um apart from my obviously my handsome face and my uh Footballing skills, <laughs> bedroom. Oh, everyone knows about all these things already, though, don't they? Um, <laughs> what do I want them to know about that they don't already know. Cool. So I, I'm going to put something out there that I, I, I have mentioned to a few people before, but I, it's not commonly known. And that is I do have a long-term goal to join the board of directors at Plymouth Argyle Football Club. Um, right. That is something I've not verbalized to many people before. So I would like to know that because actually there's several people I'd imagine who can help me achieve that goal. Um, I, I fully appreciate it is a long-term goal. Um, but yeah, I'm starting to make some progress towards it. And yeah, that's, that's an interesting one to just put out there into the world. And <laughs> you never know, there could be... You know, it could be a fellow board member listening to this podcast right now. You never know. All right, John, well, th- thanks a lot for your time. I know you've got to get to the, the school run. Got um, to be done, you know. Yeah, I hope everyone, I mean, I know I've, I've got notes. I'm taking things away from this. I'll probably go ahead and, and buy your book as well, John. So th- thanks a lot for your time, and I'm sure we'll, we'll speak again soon. Yeah, no, thank you, Mike. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you very much.